0: Welcome to episode 95 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs. I'm your host, Jason Collette, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on today, bud?
1: Oh, I might finally not be sick. Awesome.
0: God, this kid. The worst, man. Kids are just germ factories, so uh, thankfully my eight and six-year-old are out of that phase. I have remarkably healthy children. I'm waiting for that to end, but so far, so good with that. Uh, let's get right into it though. We have today, we have the Rangers and the Rays to discuss lots of uh, fantasy relevance with these teams, obviously, because they're both competitive teams, lots of uh, value there, both in pitching staff and the offense. Let's start with the Rangers and let's start with their biggest acquisition of the offseason, And that's Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder comes from Detroit, a park that suppressed his power a little bit. To Texas, one that is seemingly tailor made for him. One of the things that people often forget about Texas is it used to, back in the Rafael Palmero days, it used to have this natural wind tunnel the right center field. And they did some work to the stadium, made a stadium club, did something behind home plate to cut down on that a little bit. That said, that park is still tailor made for offense and as it warms up in Texas as it often does every single summer uh, i think this is going to be a, a nice year for him especially with chu hitting in, hitting in front of him in the lineup not direct spot but still leading off in that lineup fielder's going to hit third i think french fielder is in for a big year i see him going uh, within the first two rounds of all drafts and i have zero problem with that what about you
1: yeah i mean i guess the question is really just uh how, how good it's going to be for him. Um, you know, I guess for, for uh, lefties, that park is a little bit nicer than for righties. Uh, so that's in, that's in fielders' favor. Um, and, uh, and, you know, his, uh, let's see what his uh, batted ball profile was like. Ah, he was in the top 35 uh, for batted ball distance, so he hasn't really fallen off yet in, in, um, in that regard. But he's turning thirty, and by you know all uh, turning thirty this year, and by all uh, you know different ways of, of, of slicing and dicing um, aging curves, he's post power, uh, post peak for power or or at the end of his uh, end of his peak. So um, I think if if he, if last year he was uh, he had you know four or five homers stolen from him from Detroit, and he gets those back um, this year, and he loses a couple to age. I mean, I, I just – I've heard some people project him into 40 homer pants like he used to wear,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but uh, I'm not comfortable going that far. The fans have him at 34, and, um, you know, as you said, the RBI is going to be great. Um, the lineup is great. Uh, I think the the, the help the park will help him with a nice batting average, and he always makes good contact, but I, I'm not going to project him past 34 homers.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think – I was just having this conversation before we were recording. I was on the XM Fantasy Channel with the uh, with the RotoWire folks, and we were talking about that. It seems that people need to readjust their power baselines. You know, hitting 30 home runs is not as commonplace as it used to be, so a guy that can hit 30, 35, that's a pretty big deal these days. I mean, if, if Prince Fielder doesn't hit 40, so what? If he gets the 35, that's still an advantage because if you try to think, I know Mark Teixeira is running around camp saying he's going to hit 30 home runs this year. I want to see it before I can believe it. I, I, I'm more of a 25 home run. you like 25 to 27 home runs like your first baseman power baseline. So everything above that is cool with me.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's why I'm not um, yelling about it or anything because, uh, you know, I have him projected for 286 batting average, 33 homers, 100 RBI plus, and that makes him like a $32 player. Um, in today 's power environment and that 's that 's exactly the end of the first round so i don't uh, i don 't see a problem with where he 's being drafted i just there 's a slight uh worry that some of the giddiness if the giddiness pushes him into the middle of the first round um i mean i don 't think he 's a forty dollar player he doesn 't add any speed um, and the position he plays um, you know for example i think uh Pujols can can hit uh for two eighty and you know high twenties uh, homers and he's going much much later. So um it's a stacked position. He doesn't get much positional value. Um and he doesn't give you any speed, so I don't think he's like a, the first half of a first rounder. But uh, I doubt many people listening to us think that either.
0: I mean, his ADP right now is uh, sixteen. There are seven first basemen going in the first two rounds of a standard twelve team draft: Cabrera, Goldschmidt, Davis, Fielder, Votto, Encarnacion, and Freeman. Those are your seven first basemen go- that are uh, ADPs of twenty four or lower. And I'm I'm comfortable with that order. I'm not willing to take him over Chris Davis because I still think Chris Davis. When you look at that list, only he and Cabrera are legitimate 40 home run threats for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it's totally possible that Votto is overrated in, in 5 by 5 um, just because I don't think that power is coming back. And it's nice to get runs uh, from your first baseman, but you'd rather probably get RBI um, and power. So uh, yeah, the RBIs
0: can be really tough because we still don't know where Votto is going to hit in that lineup. They're going to have to compensate for the fact that they won't have Chu at the top of that lineup getting on base at a 440 clip. It's going to be Hamilton, and we don't know who's going to hit second. I'd advocate, I just put Votto up there and let him have let him have his fun. But I don't want to see Cozart back in that situation. But you look at that team; there's not a there's not a clean number two hitter. That's why you saw so much talk about, you know, maybe flipping Brett Gardner for Brandon Phillips and. and Having a Hamilton and a, a Gardner at the top of the lineup with with Votto in front of, behind them and Bruce and Ludwig, uh, that would be a neat situation. But it, it's it's going to be weird for that. Let's go to second base. And Jerks and Profar, news came out today that he is still experiencing shoulder discomfort and is not going to throw for another week. Um, you know, he had recently been cleared to throw, started throwing again, and now it's hurting again. So he's not cleared to do that. you know, he is also going to be restricted from swinging a bat. So this sounds to me like more than just your normal soreness that comes around. The fact that they're even, they're just putting a red shirt on him, if you will, if, you, if we talk about football terms, not throwing, not hitting. How are you adjusting your rankings for jerks and pro far if you were drafting let's say, three weeks from today?
1: Um, You know, I, I, I try to – work through my projections and so you know i try to look at my numbers and say what does this mean um for for his numbers and and see what that what that um what sort of value gets pushed out so i guess what i would do is go into my profile projections um and uh remove some plate appearances so right now i have uh i have them at 570 um that's not even a full season already. Um, so I might not take too much off, but if I took a little bit off, uh, you got to take a little bit of runs and RBI off. And um, I think he's probably still around a $10 player. He's still got power and speed. I don't know if the speed is going to be uh, of either of those things are going to be uh, superlative this year. And the batting average might be, might take a little time, but um he still got he still will represent in all five categories. So I think he's still just barely a $10 player.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at. that's where I'm at with him as well, but it's so tough because there's so much upside here, but shoulder shoulder issues are problematic. I'll give you a couple examples with the Rays. BJ Upton fought through this in 2008. Really hurt his season. Then he just went off in the postseason because he knew he's going to have surgery. He then had the surgery and suffered through that shoulder issue. Luke Scott, same kind of thing, shoulder issues, banged up his 2010 2011 season with Baltimore, uh, and that hurt his power. This is a guy that all of a sudden his power went out, and we don't know. In both of their cases, it was a labor issue. You would think by now that. Profar has been through a dye-enhanced MRI and they would have found a labrum tear. So let's hope it's not something that serious. But shoulder issues are are not a good thing for batter, for for hitters. And it would concern me greatly if if he hasn't had an MRI yet. I'd be more troubled. I haven't read anything about the fact if he's had one yet or not. But if he hasn't had one, and we hear later on this week he's going in under the tube, I'm going to be more concerned than I am now because I'm I'm going with the benefit of the doubt that he's already had this looked at through an MRI, and they're not just going on range of motion test and, and that not. Let's go to the outfield. Chu Chu, Leonis Martin, Alex Rios. A lot of fantasy production here. Chu, is going, Chu and Rios are both going within the first four rounds of drafts. Leonis Martin is going later in the draft. I really like him as a speed source. We saw the kind of uh, potential he has. Defensively, he's going to keep stay on the field because he has a lot of defensive skills. One of the best throwers there from the outfield. Uh, are you as excited about this outfield as I am, as in terms of fantasy production?
1: Yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, the projections are are kind of down on on Rios, um, uh, and uh, I know Podhorszcz is mad about that. He kind of uh, he likes Rios, but um, uh, I think that. This, they're all three of these guys are, are mixed league outfielders, which is is kind of rare. Um, and uh, you know, after the year that Rios had last year, um, I think I could justify being uh, a little bit more excited about him than um, than Steamer is. And I think you know, you know, they're all three very good. I just I wonder which one's the value because I think Chu is going pretty high up um and uh i mean he's going to the, he went in the uh the first pick of the third round in our deep uh so he went 37th in our deep uh, mock on fan graphs um and i've seen him go earlier than that um you know and our projections you know you have to think he's getting a little bit older and the projections uh don't exactly love him after 2 years of 280 plus steamer has him at 279 1818 18. Uh, which I think would be a disappointment for people buying him in the third round.
0: Yeah, so he's will... go, he's forty-first. I'm looking ADP right now. Forty first. He's the fourteenth outfielder. Uh that's Chu. Rios is going twelfth, uh, is thirty-fifth that twelve. And I get that, you know, at his he's in his early thirties, so people are are betting against a repeat on the stolen bases. Martin's a thirty-fourth outfielder off the board at one twenty-nine, going behind Michael Kadir, Shane Victorino, and Desmond Jennings and I'm fine with that order. I, there's nobody there that I would jump. He's going ahead of Curtis Branderson, Coco Crisp, and Austin Jackson. I could go either way with any of those guys, but they're all within they're all within the same round of one another. None of those guys are beyond 12 picks of the other. Uh, but he is going ahead of Brett Gardner. Uh, and when you look at if Leonis Martine is going to hit leadoff for them, but he's not going – maybe he hits second. We know that was going to hit leadoff. If Martin hits second – that's one thing. If Martin's going to hit down the bottom of the order, I think I'm more especially – Martin's going 50 picks ahead of Brett Gardner. If Brett Gardner's going to hit at the top of that Yankees lineup, I'll take Brett Gardner where he's being drafted now over Leonis Martine where he's being drafted.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's sort of why I'm bringing it up um, because, you know, one of the things that uh, – there's an assumption that with Martin playing every day, um, which is what it looks like will, will, will happen – um is that he'll just kind of you know do everything he did last year plus um and that could happen I mean we don't we basically don't know anything about his ability against lefties we know that his team sat him against lefties Mm -hmm. which 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 gives us the idea that maybe he won't be so great against lefties but we don't actually know what his true talent work is against lefties so Um, You know, I think what I would do is boost some of the counting stats, but maybe drop some of the rate stats um, in the projections uh, to to reflect that he's going to have more at-bats against lefties. Anyway, my point is, um, you know, I don't – I love this outfield, but I don't see that any of the three are real values. I don't – like you said, Brett Gardner uh, could be a better value than Leonis Martin. At this point, he's already being drafted ahead of guys, you know, Coco Crispin 2020 last year. In about two thirds of a season, um, and uh, and Rios is getting drafted against ahead of Chu, and uh, and, and Chu and Rios are both uh, post peak, so you know you've got um, you've got just a bunch of guys who are kind of going at value, which is great. I mean, they're they're all uh, to some extent power power and speed. None of them will have a, a terrible batting average, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I guess I would what I would just do is wait. Um, if I was gonna get one, I would probably just wait for the dropper. Um, but if that dropper is Martine, then I might even have to go with Gardner. So I, I I don't know how many of these guys I'm gonna own. Just I don't I, I think that they're either correctly just like correctly valued by the market or um or a little bit overvalued um in in certain drafts. I think the Sabreheads love too and sometimes he goes a little bit ahead ahead of where he should be drafted for a guy who probably won't hit 300 may not steal 20 or hit 20 so yeah his
0: his inability to hit left-handed pitching is always going to limit that batting average he's just he's so good against right-handed pitching uh but just cannot hit lefties and when you look at, you mentioned Martin about he didn't play against lefties last year. That's because the Rangers had that nice luxury of having Craig Gentry on board who could play, hit lefties well and they lost nothing defensively. He's gone, but I like who they traded, who they got in return for that trade. If I'm in an AL only league, I, I like Michael Choice. Michael Choice has got power potential. You could get him as a cheap outfielder towards the end of a draft. And we've talked time and time again how power is becoming more and more of a premium you know, Choice's got the best natural power of this entire group. It doesn't matter how much playing time he's going to get. If you look at, you know, if he doesn't sub in center if he doesn't sub for Martin in center field, then he's going to get time at DH because Mitch Moreland right now is a DH. We know that Mitch Moreland can't hit lefties. So at worst, Choice is going to get time at DH and he should get some time there in the outfield. There's a chance you know, Choice can get 250, 300, maybe even 350 plate appearances and give you double digit home runs in just that kind of playing time.
1: Yeah, I think, um, in, in deep daily leagues, uh, he's definitely, and especially if it's a dynasty league, because, um, I think Rios' contract is, is, uh, nearing its end. Um, and so there's, there's an outside chance that he, that they've traded for him with, uh, with an eye to the future. Um, and yeah, he, he should be at least good against, um, against lefties because he's a righty and uh he improved his his contact rate as he as he went up in the ma- in the minors uh which is uh which is a good thing to see i think it means that he but he also traded some um power for contact so uh you know maybe the new the nice home park will help him um i think that the the power is more of an open question mark with him so um i don't know if i i project him into double digit uh homers even in 300 uh appearances, But I do think he's interesting and deep, uh, deep daily dynasties should be thinking about him.
0: Agreed. Let's go to the mound and look at the mound. This is the situation I don't like. To bring back an old baseball reference, this is the king and his court and this is you, Darvish, and all of his awesomeness and everybody else you go through this projected rotation Derek Collins going to miss time because of the injury in the offseason uh, there's a chance he may not be back till the all-star break Alexio Gondo cannot stay healthy Matt Harrison's coming back off he's had back surgery he's had two thoracic outlet um, surgeries and is already uh, there's already news that camp out of him Nick Tepisch is an end of the rotation type of guy Tommy Hansen has got declining velocity uh, Martin Perez looked good at times last year doesn't miss enough bats to me honestly when i look at this rotation right now and i know we took in the mixed labor draft pulse board and i took martin perez in the 23rd round but honestly in a 23 in a 23 round standard 12 by 12 league you darvish is the only pitcher on that list i feel comfortable owning yeah
1: um uh, perez is really interesting because he has one good pitch um i mean really in terms of his pitch peripherals, his changeup is possibly elite. I mean, it's yes, it's, 20, it's very good. Twenty-two percent whiffs. It's very nice changeup. It's you know sixty percent ground balls. These are these are great things. I had a piece up this week about uh, benchmarks. So, if you if you saw that twenty-two uh, percent whiffs from a change, uh, the changeup averaged around fifteen. So, um, well done on that one, and um, everything else. Average or worse. The sinker looks like it could be okay. So the sinker gets plus whiffs, um, average grounders. So basically, sinker change. But he, you know, he throws the four seam a lot and it's not very good. Um, he throws the slider a lot and it's bad. And he throws the curve a lot and it's okay for grounders. So I mean, I think what what might what might benefit him is is dropping some pitches. Uh, if he if he just if he just focused on the sinker, the change, and the curve, um, he might be able to up his ground ball rate and get enough whiffs and, and be a nice pitcher. I just think the slider is too bad um, to be throwing it as much as he does, and the four seamers are just really not that exciting. So I I think, you know, it's really interesting because he has the pedigree. Scouts have loved him more than the numbers at yes. every And so, you know, he's he's – uh, I might take him with the last pick in a in a in a twelve team uh, keeper league, um, just in case if it was sort of a deeper like one of those keep like basically a dynasty mm-hmm. where you, most of your players just because he could become uh, uh, a pitcher he has the pedigree but other than that uh, I think you're right um, the you know Harrison I think has been overrated for much of his career um, Ogando you know we. Our depth charts have him at 147 innings. I doubt he has the health to do that. Yeah, I'll take
0: the under on that.
1: Yeah, and, um, and, and you know, Tommy Hansen at 84 innings almost seems like a stretch. I mean, he's, dude is broken down, and he, he had terrible mechanics to begin with, and he threw all those sliders, and it just didn't look good. Tapesh, you know, I think is could be the best real-life option for them because I do think he actually has, like, grounder skills um and uh, i think he can keep the ball on the ground and just be like a fifth starter type guy but we have him down there low and then colby lewis says he's healthy and is ready to take the fifth starter role um but you know he's just a big homer guy because he's 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 all fastballs and sliders he's like you know justin masterson in texas Mm -hmm. um so you know people are are getting really excited about justin masterson but um Colby Lewis has a very similar arsenal,
0: and he's a non-roster invitee. And that's in looking over their non-roster invitee list, you know, he's it. That's really the only other option when you look at things. And if you try to go to the, their forty-man roster and think, you know, who else may come in this picture? To me, this team is is desperate for another pitcher. And when you look at, it, look, it seems like they're out of money. They don't want to spend anymore. You know. Jimenez may have been a nice solution. I just, I see too many question marks in this rotation. And I think that applies to the same thing. You look at their bullpen, you try to figure out who's going to close for this team. Is it going to be, is it going to be Neftali Feliz coming off of injury? Is it going to be Joaquin Soria as he further recovers from his? The guy I like because I think he's got the best arm in the bunch is Tanner Shepherds. Tanner Shepherds can pump it up in the upper 90s, pretty much a two pitch pitcher. But I to me, if I'm going to take a, a shot on one of these guys, right now to open the season I think it may be Shepard's I think Feliz can recover that uh that role eventually but I want to see we know that these Tommy John guys velocity comes back first and then the command comes back later I want to see Feliz out there throwing strikes repeatedly before I'm willing to jump back on board and say yep he's my guy Tanner Shepard's an AL only league that's a guy that I'm looking to get late in drafts to pile up some saves early on before he eventually gives the job up yeah, um,
1: you know, I do. I do like him. And I, and, and as as much as I, uh, I have liked the theory that um, you know that uh, cost conscious organizations are, are putting um, veteran pitchers uh, with, uh, with 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 uh, you know fixed price tags into closing roles to keep their young um, you know ace like uh, relievers cheap. Yes. I, I, I have heard, um, from different people in baseball that that's not necessarily happening. Um, sure and, seems uh, like it. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like it. I mean, especially if you think about Axford, uh, against Cody Allen, you think about Jim Johnson against, uh, Ryan Cook, and you think about Balfour and McGee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I think there's a lot of evidence, so I'm not going to write it off, but I have heard other people say that, they just think that um, the bullpen is the easiest place to spend a little bit of money uh, and make a little bit of an improvement, as opposed to having to spend you know six seven years to get you know a starting outfielder type thing. Um, so you know the, the I'm I'm what I'm just going to try and do is not make that part of my fantasy analysis. I mean, I, I think in real life it does seem like that's going on, but I'm uh, until there's better evidence that that is happening, I'm not going to necessarily say. Okay, we're going to see um, Soria in the closing role because you know he's the veteran, and that will keep Feliz and Shepher's uh, cheaper. I'm not sure that'll be the reason Soria closes if he closes. So, anyway, so I'm just going to put that apart that that aside, and that leaves that just leaves Soria, Feliz, and Shepher's on their merits. Um, I think they're all very good pitchers. Uh, Feliz, I think, has the most uh, most to show. He needs to show. He needs to be the... He, he has the most to, to prove in, in, in spring training, I think, uh, just because of the way he's gone out the last couple of t- years and the, the injuries he's had. Obviously, Soria has to prove he's healthy, but he's had a little bit of a head start. He's done this before, um, and velocity is not as important to Soria. Soria has, like, three, four legit pitches. Uh, Feliz needs to be throwing 95-plus or 94-plus at least with uh, a killer curve. That way, he can be a closer. If he's not showing the bite on that curve or not showing the velocity, I don't think it's going to be Flea's. So I think this is definitely something we need to watch in the spring. I'm not going to declare Victor right now. I would say that I think Saria is a little bit out in front. And um, and I think uh, Shepard's – I think he's uh, in the third chair right now. I mean, as much as I like him.
0: Yeah, you know, we'll see how the, the whole situation goes. I mean, I think the big takeaway here from a fantasy perspective is – You Darvish is your safest fantasy pick for pitching. Everything else in this situation is fluid. Nothing's – it's just really – I want to watch them camp and hear the news coming out of there. I I am not – I don't know about you. I am not someone who pays attention to spring training stats at all. I I just want to make sure – when I'm in spring – when I'm looking at spring training stuff, health is my biggest concern. I want to see who's healthy. And I don't care where these guys are being used. I just want to see that they're on the field and I want to see that they're healthy. And I'd like to see radar gun readings when they, when they're available. It's really tough because they always don't have them on television and you got to kind of talk and try to hear from scouts. I know that uh, Brooks Baseball is, it sometimes has some of the data from the Arizona from the cactus league, because they don't have all the, the stuff in the uh, they don't have it in the grapefruit league because of, where they do the winter ball out in Arizona. So we'll see how that all shakes up. But that's the stuff I'm interested in. But this whole Texas situation, you know, quick and dirty, go get your offense in Texas, go get Darvish, and everything else is going to be a question mark.
1: Yeah, I'm not necessarily advocating to, to look at results. Um, I, 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 like you, I'm I'm, I'm watching Felice um, mostly with the radar gun. Um, I'm watching to see what pitches Saria is throwing. Um, if, his, if his arm is all good and he's ready to go, then he'll be throwing three pitches at least. Um, and I'm actually watching to hear what the coaches are saying. I mean, they do a lot of misdirection, and it's a lot of crap to wade through, but um, they do give an indication of who they think is going to close, and um, a lot of times that's meaningful. So, um, you know, I'd like to do a study on that and, and to really figure out you know, how meaningful what they say about the closing role is because there's been plenty of times where, you know, you, you hear a press conference after a game and they're like, you know, X, Y, Z's are closer, you know, and then the next day they're not. Um, but um, I do think that velocity is a big one. And, and if you can if you can see what Feliz is throwing, that's important.
0: Let's use that as a segue to go over to Tampa Bay and talk. Uh, let's work in reverse from our typical thing. And the closing role in Tampa Bay, and – and spending the last two years in the clubhouse, doing a lot of postgame work there with the Rays, Joe Madden has always been very, very hesitant to label anybody his closer. He calls them – he'll go out of his way to avoid using the term late-inning pitcher, my high-leverage guy. He'll use any word he can. He doesn't even like saying the word closer. He says it's the C word. Uh, and, but when they announced the signing of Grant Balfour, he actually used the word closer. Yeah, I'm gonna use that word this year. So when they got Grant Ballford, it was too close. I don't think there's any doubt who has that role uh, going into 2014. It's Balfour's. Now, if something, if there was any legitimacy to that shoulder issue that 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 killed the Baltimore deal, if he were to go down, they've got multiple options this year. They have Heath Bell. They have Jake McGee, who, by the way, is working on bringing his curveball back into play. We're talking about a guy that was 93% fastball last year. But he wants to bring the curveball, a pitch he hasn't used since the minor leagues. He wants to bring that back into play. But you have Bell. You have McGee. You've got Juan Carlos Oviedo. You have Joel Peralta, who I think is going to be last in line for that situation, simply because he's Joe Madden's Swiss Army knife. He uses him anywhere and everywhere. I love how he uses him. He doesn't wait for the eighth inning. He'll bring him in the seventh if he has to. He'll let him pitch multiple innings if he has to, but you know, they have overworked him. There's no if, ands, or buts about that. Peralta had to pick up a lot of load last year to help bail out some of the issues that Rodney was having. So if you're if you're looking to draft ball for, him, you've got multiple options. I don't think we have a clean option who can replace him, but I think there are multiple places in play, which is why I advocate ignoring the handcuff. If you draft ball for, just let the handcuff go. Let everybody else waste picks on speculating who that might be and worry about it later.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it, it, the, there are. I'd like to actually write this piece. I do it usually every spring. There are uh, times when there is an obvious handcuff, and then, then it's nice to be able to take. You know, I think um, – I wonder if, if Cleveland is a good example. Axford is going to be cheap, and uh, Cody Allen is going to be cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think Benny Pistano did enough to bring himself out of favor last year and has to prove his health enough that he's a clear third chair. So, And he's had plenty of chances to be the closer and hasn't. So I would say that uh, when it's an easy situation in Cleveland, relatively, to take Axford and Allen and, and, and think that you probably have the closer there. Um, yeah, in, uh, in Tampa, there's way too many options. And, um, you know... I, uh, I I love I, I I hated and loved the, the Heath Bell uh, acquisition for, for um, the, uh, the 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 Rays. At first, I said, "Oh my God, who wanted Heath Bell?" And then I thought, "Oh my God, he's going to Tampa. He's going to be great." So I feel like you know he he could be their closer. Uh, Jake McGee's shown the skills. He doesn't really have the platoon splits. Uh, Joel Peralta used to be a rookie but um, hasn't had that problem in Tampa uh, and Juan Carlos Oviedo was Leo Nunez was a closer mm-hmm. so you've got like legit five guys who could close um, it's going to be a good bullpen but uh, good luck finding the handcuff and uh, I would probably stay out of it um, you know if you really want to take a, a shot take a shot at one of them but I really think that if you were late in your, in, your, in your thing, you might as well take a shot at Cody Allen, who's closer, I think. I mean, Who's going to be it? I mean, if Heath Bell has a homework problem, again, it's not going to be him. Joel Peralta has had plenty of chances to get saves and hasn't really gotten it. Jake McGee hasn't gotten it. So, in a way, it might be Leon Nunez, but he has the health question mark. So, it's like if you flip the switch and are negative about each one of them, there's tons of negatives. If you flip the switch and you're positive about each of them, there's tons of positives. It makes it really hard to figure this one out.
0: Yeah, exactly. When, one of the things you look at with Heath Bell, one of the things when the move was made before Ballford wouldn't impress me. Heath Bell's strikeout rate went up five percentage points last year. His walk rate dropped five percentage points. This is still a guy that can command his fastball rather well, and he's got a good curveball too. It's just, you know, Chase Field is not forgiving of guys. When you live up in the zone, as Heath Bell does, and guys can get on top of that, that ball will carry there. Uh, and you look at Tropicana Field, that that place suppresses fly ball. So I think it's a good situation for him, especially the dead, uh, straightaway center just suppresses things. You've got a better defensive outfield. Uh, you, when you look at Desmond Jennings covering ground out there, I know in right field there's no contest because Gerardo Parra is amazing and, and nobody else can hold a candle to what he does out there. But it, the situation is better for him. They could they could potentially fix him, but the big point here is don't try to handcuff Grant Ball for if you're concerned at all, because I think it's an exercise in futility. There's just too much going on. The fifth starter role I, I think is more clear, even with Jeremy Hellickson being out. I, I think he's going to be out past uh, Memorial Day weekend. I don't. The Rays have always been cautious in bringing these guys back from these kind of things, so if you're planning on Hellickson coming back before June 1st, don't adjust adjust your projections accordingly. This, to me, is Jake Rizzi's job to lose. I know they traded for Nate Carnes, a guy that I think has some really good upside when you look at the fact he's got two-plus pitches. Some people have graded that curveball a plus-plus on him. Uh, I just don't think he's in the running for this because he also has options, and it seems like get him down to the minor leagues, let him work with Neil Allen, uh, and get that change-up going because the, the change-up is something to raise preach, preach, preach – at every level of the system, so you can get Karn to get him a decent changeup. I think Archer's changeup is better now than it used to be when they got him into the system. But this is going to be Jake Arizzi's job, and he should be very effective as a fifth starter. Don't still don't see him draftable in a 12-team mix format, but in a 15-team mix format, sure. And if he can pitch well enough, it's going to be it's going to it's really going to pose an interesting problem for the Rays to have if Oderizzi is doing well enough, and that's going to hinge upon his ability to get lefties out that's not something he does very well. Uh, so if he can get do that better, then when Helix comes back, what do you do? I mean, how Hel- at that point um Odorizzi is already he's already has like 240 innings of experience at AAA. How much longer are you going to keep that guy down there?
1: Yeah, but uh, I just I don't see I don't see it in the pitches. Like I don't none none, none of his pitches has uh, an above average. Actually by whiff rate, his pitches are all terrible. Yes. Uh, the only one that's any that's anywhere close to average is his curve, and curves have the lowest uh, whiff rate for uh, breaking pitches. So, um, I mean, maybe if he uh, focused on the four-seam and curve and went to the bullpen, he'd be better. I just think that he's destined to, to, to be on that shuttle for a while. And I think that his stuff actually um, – is 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 good is ripe for that you know there's always the uh the rumors about trading david price but um i think with the way you know the way that this fifth uh, starter situation looks i don't think that they feel super comfortable trading david price right now um and they 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 figure to be competitive so you know david price might be one of the rare uh players that they keep all the way to the end um, and just, or, at uh, this, or at
0: least through the or at least through the season, I, I would be surprised uh, if he was dealt within the season. If he's dealt within the season, it's because somebody blew them away with an offer that they said that like, we can't say no to, or they have fallen out of contention. Um, and you look at this team, I. It, when you look at this team, they are a prohibitive favorite to be right there at the top of that division, uh, right there with Boston, uh, with New York being on their heels. But I would, be, I would be surprised if you were to ask me the odds of David Price being traded during the 2014 season, it would be single-digit odds for me.
1: Yeah. What's interesting, though, also, is that, you know, after a, a long run of just, you know, taking out, you know, X pitcher and plugging in Y pitcher and not really missing a beat um, – You know, as I look at the the guys that are coming up here, um, I don't see an obvious. You know, trade David Price, and you know Chris Archer will take his price. You know, I think Chris Archer has enough question marks that it won't be him necessarily. Uh, Jake Odorizzi doesn't, you know, doesn't have the upside at all. And even though, as you say, Carnes has something interesting about him, um, and Colome does too. Um, I don't think that, uh, I think the pipeline is drying up a bit. Um, oh, and yeah, you know, absolutely agree bit. you know, you know, a little bit better, but people have written about this a bit that, that the idea that, you know, their, their picks haven't hit as much recently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, it is, they will, they may have to trade price just to sort of rejuvenate the high miners and, and get some high upside, uh, pitching arms back in there that are, that are young and controllable. um, but, you know, for someone training for that, like, you know, Cubs, Cubs were a rumored destination. Well, the Cubs don't have high upside arms um, to deal. Yeah, they, they,
0: no, none, none at all. That's the issue. You know, they've whiffed on a lot of these first round draft picks. Josh Sale, they just traded Drew Vettelson in the deal to the Nationals. That's why I like the deal, you know, trading Alex Torres, trading Jesse Hahn, trading trading Felipe Rivero and Jose Lobotone uh, to get the guys they got from the Padres and from the Nationals, it gives them higher, not mixing terms here, higher quality quantity. At the upper levels, it was something they were lacking. so last year, when four guys hit the disabled list, and all of a sudden you had to pull guys up, you know you were giving starts to any Romero before he was really ready to contribute at the major league level. You had to give Alex Calume starts before he was really ready to contribute at the, at the major league level. you know you had to give thirty four starts to Roberto hernandez and I don't, I hate watching that guy pitch, but these are the kinds of things you had to do because that upper level guy wasn't there. Matt Moore wasn't coming up. Jeremy Hellickson wasn't coming up. Chris Archer had already come up at this point. So that's why, you you know, getting Nate Carnes and getting the guys they got from the Padres puts them in a better position to absorb uh, injuries should they come into play this year uh, with that. But I agree. There's no just next guy up philosophy if you look at the staff at David Price goes to me, the next guy ups Alex Cobb. That's to me is their number two pitcher. Matt Moore may have better overall upside, but right now, as far as application of talent, I like Alex Cobb as the second best pitcher on this team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think that it, uh, I think I like him as much as, as you can like it. I mean, you know, I think I like him at the prices I'm seeing him at. Um, I like Cobb more than Moore uh, for this year. Uh, I, I just like Cobb to be healthier, um, you know. Moore was already been on the DL, uh, and you know, it, I, Moore throws the change up, but he also he doesn't have great mechanics and and he hasn't had great uh, command. And Cobb, I think, has uh, both of those things. So I, I'm willing to bet on Cobb's health a little bit more, even if it if it takes a little bit less upside in terms of strikeout rate. Um, I like Cobb better. Archer to me. Um, you know, it's a little bit hard to watch for this in the spring, but he's going to be throwing that change up. And, um, I think, you know, just watch the change up and see if you if you think it's worth it, if it's any good. I, I when I've watched it, I have thought it's no good. Um, and the numbers say it needs to be maybe a little bit harder, uh, and, and, and be used for grounders. But, you know, it's been a long time coming for Chris Archer where they've said all the, all the way along, only has two pitches, fastball slider, going to end up in a bullpen. Um, so, you know, this is – I'm not I'm not coming up with anything that no one's ever talked about before. But Here's the um, thing with him, with that
0: pitch. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to step on you now.
1: No, I, I was going to give him a chance. I'd love to hear what you think about, about Archer.
0: I mean, to me, he's fascinating to talk to. He's one of my favorite players when I'm in the clubhouse to talk to because he, he's – Very aware of what he's doing. And there was a couple of times he did very well against the Yankees last year. I mean, say what you want about the way their lineup looked at times, but he had a certain approach and with the Yankees, it was all hard stuff all the time. It was all fastballs and sliders. And I remember there was a takeaway quote in an interview that he did with uh, Mike Farron on MLB network radio. And he, he brought to him the the changeup and sticking with it. He goes, you know, sometimes for me, it's a swing and miss pitch. Sometimes I throw it once a game because I'm not comfortable with it. Uh, and that, that he had interviewed him the night after or two days after he had shut down the Yankees. And he goes, you know, that game was just one of those one of those games where I didn't like the way it felt in the bullpen. I tried it once in the game. And I believe he gave a home run on the pitch. And he said, you know what? Screw it. But that's when I've seen him throw that change up in the game. If he hangs one and it gets banged out, it's gone for the game. And he'll put it away and say, you know, what, I don't have it today. But every now and then I'll see him throw a game and he's got it. And when he when he's able to use it, even it just needs to be league average. It doesn't have to be uh, the, the swing and miss fade pitch that Cobb has or the one that Hellickson has. It just has to be there as a presence of mind, especially against lefties because he's a two pitch pitcher. You look at his splits; he is really strong at shutting down the righty righties. But lefties are able to find success against him. And there was one particular play interference last year against Brandon Belt. I was at the game. He could not put Belt away, and Belt eventually hit a triple off him. Homered later in the game. It just he could not put Belt away. Belt was on him. He had the fastball. He couldn't put him away on the slider. But he just had to keep throwing and hope he had made a mistake because he didn't have the confidence in the changeup uh, for that thing. So I, I really like watching this guy develop. I want to see where this is. But I think he's made – I think he's further along in his process – to be a starting pitcher now than he was this time last year. Last year, I thought he was going to go down the reliever path. I saw enough of him in 2013 to think, you know, this kid can make it as a starter in the major leagues.
1: Yeah. uh, And, uh, you know, it's just right now he's he's trying to throw it for whips, and it's getting 8% whips against 15% average. You know, if he threw it harder – um, maybe and right now, the ground ball rate on it is thirty three percent which is or lower actually it's it 's like thirty percent it 's pretty bad, so you know I think he needs to choose one way or the other, and probably the best way to go is throw it hard and try to have like a felix hernandez type i mean Felix Hernandez. you can 't throw felix Fernandez a felix hernandez change up <laughs> but no. you know that sort of approach where it 's a hard change um, you know and i I think they they 're aware of this, and they 're working with him and um, you know, just even throwing 170 change-ups last year is progress. So if he can throw, you know, 300 this year, maybe they'll, they'll get better. So uh, I just – what I would say is that uh, if you're in a mixed league, you just got to watch out. And Archer should be probably your final pitcher. Um, I don't think that he has uh, – I, I think there's enough risk there that I wouldn't um, spend more than that on him.
0: Yeah, let me see. Let me pull up where Archer was as we were talking. I forgot to look this up. But Archer is currently going 53rd uh, in overall starting pitching, 228 is his ADP. He's going behind Taiwan Walker, Marco Estrada, and Lance Lynn. I don't see that he's marketably I, – I would take him ahead of Taiwan Walker for sure, especially with the shoulder issues Walker's having so far in spring training. I don't see a big – there's only an 8-pick difference between he and Estrada. I don't see a big value gain there. I definitely want Lance Lynn over all four of those pitchers because of the strikeout potential. Archer is going ahead of A.J. Griffin, Brandon Beachy, and Jumalda Jimenez. I like Griffin better, and I may like Beachy better. And we're talking about a full-round difference between Archer and Beachy.
1: Uh, I mean – Beachy's a very different pitcher in that he has a full arsenal, but he doesn't have the velocity, um, and he probably doesn't have the health. So, uh, you know, I think that's a good discussion right there. I think if you if you value Archer highly, don't value him too much higher than you value Beachy.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, offensively, uh, the big guy to look at offensively. To quickly go around the field, we got a full season of Will Myers, high expectations for him. You've got DeJesus and Joyce at left field and DH. Both of them are going to be limited in playing time because neither of them can hit left-handed pitching at all. So you're going to get some opportunities if you're an AL-only league. Guys like Sean Rodriguez, Logan Forsythe, they're going to find their playing time here at worst as platoon partners for these two guys because they're useless against left-handed pitching. But Desmond Jennings in center field. Desmond Jennings has been somebody uh, the last couple of years going into fantasy drafts and auctions. He's been drafted twenty-five plus dollars is where people have been drafting him, and I think at this point people are like, okay, this is this is not going to work. I don't know if he even goes for twenty dollars in drafts this year. His current ADP is one twenty-seven. He's going thirty-third off the board behind. Alfonso Soriano, Michael Goddier, and Shane Victorino ahead of the group we uh, we talked about earlier. He's about three spots ahead of Leonis Martin, 12 spots ahead of Granderson, and 15 spots ahead of Coco Crisp. Desmond Jennings has put on about 10 to 15 pounds this offseason, so he's bulked himself up. This was already a guy that was a a finely tuned athlete that could have played college football at Alabama, had a scholarship, turned that down to play baseball. For me, when I watch him, he's good against left-handed pitching. He has trouble against righties, particularly righties with good velocity. He has his weak spot as he cannot lay off the high fastball. One of every 50 he'll see, he'll tomahawk out of the park and think he can keep doing that. But once he hits a high fastball for a home run, he seems to fall into a slump because all of a sudden he tries to expand his zone up. He's at his best when he's working you know, letters down or even belly button down. It just, if you want to get him out, you throw high fastballs, you spin stuff on the out part of the corner, and he gets himself out. And that's what's been frustrating with him watching him play because we it's just two different guys. Against lefties, really good hitter, established strike zone, doesn't really climb the ladder much and is effective. Against righties, it's completely different. And to me, with those kind of issues, that's not somebody that I can draft as a top 30, 35 outfielder. I need to see better performance against the 70% of the platoon he's going to see as a full-time player to justify taking him in the top 125.
1: Yeah, uh he went uh, 102 in our draft. Um and he went behind uh Kadir Hamilton and Dominic Brown. Um I might take him over Hamilton, but uh, you know, I, I would definitely take Brown ahead of him. Um, he went ahead of Beltron, Billy Hamilton, and Shane Victorino, which is um, an interesting spot. He's basically in a spot where the risk is is, is fairly high, um, and I think that I would take him over Beltron just because of age. Um, you know, if I was going to take a shot in the dark there at a hundred. I I think that's a little bit early to be taking super high risk guys. So I could see taking Jennings around 100, but I, I as I, I agree with you that I don't necessarily see uh, him breaking out. I mean, he's 27. You know, he's got 1500 plate appearances in the, in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make him like a slam dunk to project, but I don't think that um, unless he just got super lucky with balls in play one year. Um, I don't think that we're going to see a much better batting average. You know, we could see 25 stone bases instead of 20, but um, I'm, I'm, I I'm, feel a little bit more, I feel like you do uh, read between the lines that he is who he is, and uh, if you pay the right price, then that's all right. But, uh, you know, I have him down for $9 uh, in a mixed league. Uh, I, I bet he goes for more than that.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree he is what he is. If there's going to be any upside, it's going to come against how he handles the right-handed pitching with better velocity. He's been talking camp and talking with a few guys that are that are, have been down there because a lot of the players have already reported, even though full workouts aren't until uh, another day or two, uh, that you know he's working on his swing to get his bat speed back where it belongs and simplify things. A lot same kind of things you're hearing with B.J. Upton, uh, who had similar issues with, with good velocity from right-handed batters. So I, I want to see that. I'm not taking him as a top 100 player. I'm not taking him as a top 120. I think right now, again, where I mentioned him, I'm, I'm fine with where he's at. Maybe maybe Alfonso Soriano, who was, can still hit for the power. It's really Jennings, especially the other talk is he may not lead off full-time. He may lead off against lefties and hit down in the lineup against righties because David DeJesus is really good and hitting right-handed pitching, whereas Jennings is not. So if he's not going to hit lead off the full-time – that's gonna. That's definitely going to keep him out of my top 30. Uh, going to the infield, we got two guys to talk about. Ben Zobris. This is uh, one of the players that I wrote about in the Fangraphs Plus piece about uh, declining speed of players in their 30s. I focused on he and Ian Kinsler. In watching Ben Zobris on a daily basis, as I have for the last couple of years, I see a guy with declining foot speed, and that's why we're seeing the stolen base total go down. He's still a very capable hitter at the plate. Has a lot of fantasy value there. He's he's got shortstop second base eligibility. May not get the outfield eligibility this year. It really depends on where they ended up if they put him in the outfield and let Forsyth and Rodriguez um, take second base on days when they're facing left-handed pitching. So he may lose that uh, flexibility, but at least he's flexible up on both sides of the middle. But I have more faith in Ben Zobrist hitting 12 to 15 home runs than I do him stealing 12 to 15 bags. What about you?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, by batted ball distance on homers and flies, he was uh, right there with Billy Butler, uh, Brad Miller, Michael Brantley. It's a very interesting crew. Um, guys that can hit anywhere from 10 to 20 homers is how I'd describe it. Um, so I, I, he's still holding on to his power a little bit. Um, but uh, the speed, yeah, it's been fairly linear. Um, off of his peak with 24 in 2010, um when he was 29 um he's basically just dropped a handful of stolen bases every year um so i I would expect that trend to continue give him eight eight or nine uh, stone bases next year tops um so yeah double digits and homers though i think he can do again He, he kind of uh goes in and out a little bit power wise from year to year and i think I think probably what happened was, I mean, we, we've read a lot about how he made a big adjustment at the plate uh, to get that power. Um, and uh, I think that probably he has to kind of make big adjustments from year to year and that he, he'll find that uh, pitchers have changed the way they're pitching him. And so, um, you know, I, I I could see him adjusting again and, and hitting 15, 16 homers next year, but um, – I, I can't see him doing anything about his declining foot speed. So, you know, what I do think is that Zobris is one of these key cats um, who's, who's way more valuable in, in, in linear weights type points leagues and uh, on-base percentage leagues because he's shortstop eligible. You slide in a guy who's going to very likely have an on-base percentage over three fifty in shortstop um, with representative power. Uh, that, that becomes very useful. When you're talking about a batting average league and you can only put him at second, uh, you're talking about a guy who might hit 260 with 15 homers and eight stolen bases. That's pretty much uh, fantasy league average.
0: Yes, yes, that's very much. And with, with Kinsler and Zobrist, I saw Zobrist go in the third round of mixed labor draft, and I was – not Zobrist, but Kinsler, rather, and I was speechless. Uh, to me, I don't think Kinsler or Zobrist are, go, are top 60 picks yet I've seen them go in the top 60 in multiple leagues that I uh, mock drafts that I've done, or even a league that I've done. These guys, have they've always been top 60 picks for the last couple of years. When you look at their ADP right now, the way it shakes out at second base, Kinsler is 64, Zobrist is 80. And I think even Kinsler is being drafted too high. He's gone as high as 37. These are guys that are outside my top 75 personally. I still think they are uh, – Fighting it out for that that fifth best second baseman, I like Cano, Kipnis, Padroya, Carpenter ahead of them. But you're looking at fifth second base, you know, Kinsler, Zobrist, Altuve, Jerko, Phillips, Murphy, you know, that whole bunch. Let them duke it out. But right now, when I'm looking at Kinsler 63, honestly, I'd rather take I'd rather take Jerko at 100. I'd rather take Murphy at 105. I'd rather take Hill at one ten than take Kinsler at 63 and Zobrist at 80. I uh, Zobrist and ADI have a little less of an issue with because of the, the multi-positional thing there. The fact that I can use him in multiple places, I feel a little better about that pick. But this is what Zobrist is. I don't think he's going to get any better than what we've seen. We're seeing Zobrist in decline. I don't think there's going to be a bounce back.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, Kinsler, I actually took 39 one time and uh didn't feel great about it and got uh some trolling on that one. Um uh, the reason I did it was because I was using my uh, Steamer projected values, and Steamer has them at 260 1919. Um, that's probably uh, a little aggressive for him, um, you know, especially coming off of uh, leaving Texas and going to Detroit in terms of power and, uh, you know, projecting him into a four-stone base increase. Um, like you're saying, he's uh, going to turn 32 this year. So, um, you know, I, I, I agree with a lot of your points. Uh, I do really don't like Dan Murphy, though. So, I mean, in, in terms of who it is later on, uh, we might be looking at different players. But uh, um, if I can't get Kipnis or Cano, uh, I'm probably waiting on second base.
0: All right, let's uh, lastly talk about first base. And James Loney comes back. Kind of surprise everybody, given the fact that the Rays rarely Keep a first baseman from year to year. The last time they did that was when they had uh, Carlos Pena in 2008 and 2009. That's the last time they've had repeat uh, first baseman uh, at the situation. So with him last year, a lot of people said career year, you know, regression is going to happen. Yes, he had a better first half than second half ended up hitting 299 on the season. Watching him, the big difference was he hit left-handed pitching better. The Rays left him in there because they had no other choice. And he was, you know, the lefty, the way he handled that, it was just better than what he had done in the past. And he still maintains the ability to hit right-handed pitching rather well. He just did better against lefties. One of the things, the Rays just let him be who he is. The Dodgers at one point tried to make Loney hit for more power and get more loft in the ball. That's not how you play in Tropicana field. The Rays are cool with you working gap to gap or using the whole part of the field. If you're trying to hit with power in Tropicana, you're playing into the park's strength. That's what it does is it helps suppress offense in that regard, Uh, especially for a guy like Loney, who's not a pull hitter. He likes using all parts of the field and you really have to have some man strength to hit it out to the gaps in the center field in that park because there's no weather factor. So that's one of the things that he's out there. And I see Loney – you know, he's a nice, I, I still think he's a mixed league first baseman. Yes, it's going to be down the bottom tier of that, of that group. But I think what he did is sustainable. This is not going to be a guy like, you know, how Jeff Kepinger fell off with him after having a year or how Casey Kochman fell off after having that year. James Loney is currently the 28th first baseman off the board at 302. He's going behind, he's going 30 picks behind Adam LaRoche. He's going 75 picks behind Corey Hart, 80 picks behind Ryan Howard. He's going almost 100 picks behind Justin Morneau. There's value here in James Loney, the way he's being drafted so far. Do you agree? Sure. Probably um, I wouldn't make him a mixed
1: league first baseman, uh, but a mixed league draftable first baseman. Then you can, I could I could see him in util. I have him somewhere around 16th to 17th in um, uh, actually – no, I, maybe I don't agree then. I, I have him um, 16th in the AL. Okay. 7, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, I have him like 16th in the AL at first base. So um, I, 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 don't even think, I don't think he's a mixed leaguer. I, I mean, my, my projections are not uh, that far off of what's on the site. I have a 278 uh, batting average, 10 homers. Um, I think he'll lose some time to uh, somebody, maybe Forsyth, um, maybe Joyce, maybe some, somebody at, at uh, not Joyce, uh, somebody who can hit uh, lefties at first base. Um, and I, I think that's where maybe we differ a little bit. I don't know. Um, obviously, a little bit it's a little bit harder to to find uh, a first baseman, a righty first baseman. Um and they don't really have an obvious option unless Forsyth can do it. Uh, and he might be needed in left field. So uh maybe he gets a full slate of at bats and maybe he pushes himself up to, you know, top twelve in the um in the American League. But that I I doubt that makes him a mixed league first baseman, maybe a mixed league um utility bat uh, at his best. Uh it's just, you know, I I I can't project him much better than a two seventy 270, two seventy five batting average. Uh, even though he had a decent one last year, most years he's, uh, he's had, a, I mean, that was his breakout year in terms of batting average. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just the platoon risk there. So I, I, I you know, if he's, if he's there and he's super cheap, then I'm into him, but I'm just not, I'm not going to be looking for him in any drafts. I th- yeah.
0: I mean, I see him as value. I, I, I kind of see him as like Chris Johnson a lot of people are running away from chris Johnson because they're expecting all this progression and the way both of these guys i I'm going after him in a, in a single league format I've taken chris Johnson in mixed leagues I have no problem doing that but with with Loney I'm gonna take him if he's there at the end of a draft and I, I need a corner guy I need a utility guy I think he has a low ceiling because he's still gonna hit for a, a good average and I still see we know he's, he's good for 13 home runs it's pretty much his track record um, so he's good for that. That's it for the Rays and the Rangers. Do you have any final thoughts on either of these teams for the listeners?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Uh, the Rangers seem to be going for it in the old Rangers style. Uh, they've, got a m- a <laughs> they've got a murderer's row lineup and, uh, and questions all over the starting rotation. So, um, you know. And the the Rays, for their credit, have morphed a little bit. Um, as there's more questions at the back end of their uh, rotation, uh, there are fewer questions in their lineup. I mean, this might be one of the better Rays lineups they've fielded um, from top to bottom. And uh, so the Rays have changed a little bit. The Rangers have changed back to the way they used to be. Uh, both going to be re- really fun teams to watch this year, I think.
0: Yeah, agreed. I, it is. It does seem like the old uh, the Rangers days when they played in, in Arlington Stadium and that that heat sink of a stadium. Uh, with this, but I'm excited. There's, I think there's a lot of fantasy potential on both of these teams, and uh, I'm ready to, for uh, everything to get started. Going to Astros camp this morning and spending time down there did not do anything to uh, to uh, quiet down baseball fever for me. Mm, that's coming. It, it was pretty awesome to be down there. It was just pitchers, and I was watching things. Uh, you know, I got to see Chad Qualstone in the bullpen. Brett Peacock looked really good. Josh Seed uh, is adding a splitter. Saw so him uh, working a couple of things with a splitter grip uh, today, and that's not something that he had typically done, so it looks like he's adding a new pitch. Uh, in that regard, uh, Mike Fulta, I just call him Fulty. I'm not even going to bother pronouncing that last name, has got probably the best hair I've ever seen. It is golden flowing locks of hair. It's hanging way out. It looks nuts. Uh, and. Stossel Stossen, they've got a, a minor league prospect in there. He's got wicked bad hair. It's it's pretty cool to see. Uh, just get down there and uh, workouts are Thursday. I'm going down, going back down Thursday to check out some of the the full workouts instead of guys just throwing around. But it's great time to live in Florida because the weather's awesome and all these teams are here. More hair reports. Yes, more hair reports. Well, I heard Will Myers' hair is just awesome. Uh, I'm waiting to see a picture. It, it looks apparently it's worse. It's worse than his rookie of the year video appearance. So, Evan Longoria's got a mohawk. Uh, So, I I love crazy hair. Yeah, you you heard the story today about the red, yesterday about the Reds tightening up their facial hair policy. I'm like, whatever, man. If guys want to come in with a with a friar tuck haircut with a circle of hair and everything else gone, go for it. You want to do a mohawk, go for it. I'm all for baseball personality.
1: Yeah, have some fun. I hate those rules about facial hair.
0: Yes. All right. Uh, Thursday. Thursday, we will be talking about the cincinnati reds and the colorado rockies so if you do have your questions on that please uh get in the comments and let us know about those guys and until then thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you on thursday